0: Love. Thank you for coming on today's teaching for April 27 and April 26. Don't join hands with the devil by Gloria Copeland. Scripture is 1 John 3:14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abided in death. Whosoever has his brother. Whosoever hated his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John three fourteen and 15 When we think about the fact that God is love, what usually comes to mind is how kind and gracious He is. We think about how strong He is in everything that is wonderful and good. But sometimes we fail to consider that love. Consider that love. By its very nature, it's totally opposed to that which is unloving. Love is a powerful enemy to all that is hateful and all that hurts or destroys. Even though we're God's dear children, if we start violating the law of love by treating others in hateful way, will soon run into a sight of love we rather not see. Ken tells the story about how God spoke to him in, in no uncertain terms a few years ago, letting him know just how serious in his sight a refusal to walk in love can be. Apparently someone had done something wrong. Ken hadn't let it go, and the Lord rebuked him sternly for it. Kenneth, he said, You need to think about the way you've been acting towards that man. You need to realize that if you were God, he'd be in hell right now. You have sent him to hell by refusing to forgive him. That was a sobering thought for me. When I heard it, it made me extra glad that God is God and we're not. But it also made me realize that when we take the side of hate and unforgiveness, we're taking the devil's side. We're joining hands with the dammer of mankind and agreeing with him. We're abandoning life and stepping into death. That's inexcusable in the sight of love. It doesn't matter what reason we hate it, we have for it. Either the results are the same. Some time ago, I saw a woman on a television facing the murder of her husband. The trial was over and she was given an opportunity to speak face to face with the man who'd been convicted of the crime. My, how that woman tore into that man. I'll never forgive you, she said. You have stolen my husband, you have stolen my children's father, and I hate you till the day I die. Later, the Holy Spirit said to me, that woman is as guilty of murder as he is. She committed it right there in the courtroom. When she yelled to hatred, when she yield to hatred in the eyes of God, she killed him. You might think that's a little rough, and I'm certainly not judging that dear lady, but I but it does drive home the point. It is a sobering reminder that love can abide with hatred at any time for any reason. It's a strong incentive for us to walk continually in the light of love. April 26, Copeland. A small price to pay. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 26. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remember that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there the gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversity deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid uttermost forty. Matthew five, twenty-three and 26. When you find yourself at odds with another person, don't waste a minute. Go to them and get things straight. Do whatever it takes to preserve the bond of peace between you and them. Ephesians 4 verse 3. If you won't admit they're wrong and say you're to blame for the whole problem, don't argue, agree with them if they won't agree. Be spiritually big to take responsibility for the whole situation humble yourself and say, I am at fault and I want to make it right. I love you more than anything else. I want us to be in harmony with one another again. Most of the time, that other person will jump up and say, no, 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 it was my fault too. I was wrong. Forgive me. Then, for the next few minutes, you'll have a marvelous time arguing over who gets to take the blame, and you'll end up loving each other more than ever. Even if that doesn't happen, you'll be better off because the Bible is very clear about what happens to us when we hang on to offenses and strife. We pay a high price. We end up in a prison of torment that affects not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. I'll just be blunt about it. Christians who insist on stain and strife are like the disease cells in the body of Christ. They mess up the cells that are connected to them. Take a group of Christians who love each other and are having a great time. Add one person who's mad at a couple of them, and before long, almost everyone will be mad at someone. That person will go from one brother to another, Gossiping and spreading that spirit of offense until the whole group is spiritually sick. Since our Heavenly Father loves all of His children, He simply won't allow one of them to run around messing up the other for long. He'll shut them down in some way. He'll quarantine them spiritually until they straighten up. If you think God won't do that in your case because you're right about the issue that's causing trouble think again as i said before if you're in strife even if you're right you're wrong so whatever the problem might be between you and another don't let it put you in prison let it go agree with the adversary quickly and be reconciled it will cost you your pride but that's a small price to pay to stay free I'm Fernando, and one of the other scriptures the thing that came to mind was when Jesus said if you retain their sins they will be retained if you release their sins they will be released so he was qualifying the disciples telling them look you're now born again you are now in the category of me of Jesus you you are in deity form you have the power to hold someone, send someone to hell with judgment and you have the power to send someone to heaven with judgment that's how strong forgiveness is, is that we move in ranks when the father said, Jesus said in John 5 you know the father has given the son of man judgment and that's what they're talking about, about judging others not being able to get salvation so it's a pretty responsible thing if I were you I continue to write all the names and continue to pray pray for them and thank Jesus for them that Jesus is dissolving the issue you heard me Jesus will dissolve the issue write their name down write a letter of apology seal it And keep raising it to Jesus for 45 days. Every stop sign, every time it's on your car, just continue to raise it to Jesus and praise Jesus for that person till Jesus dissolves the hate, the hurt, the murder in your heart, the evil thoughts. And just keep at it till you break the fall of ground. You get that bad seed out, get that bad tree, that root completely out By praising and thanking Jesus that he is Lord over the person's lives. And that Jesus has forgiven them. And he's forgiven you, so you forgive them. Amen. All right? And forgive yourself, too. Add your name on there. I love you. God bless you. Give them heaven. Welcome to today's reading from Limitless Love. We're going to start reading April 25th and then back up a little, see how far we go. The Right Side of the Law, Kenny Copeland, Matthew 6:14 and 15. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for sending us your Holy Spirit and bringing us into the right place in our lives. Having a Father in heaven and being born again thank you for today's teaching and thank you for your creation your earth and all the animals and the birds and the reptiles and the sea creatures and the body of christ lord we take communion for the body of christ we thank you lord god that they're they are made whole and blessed and prospered nothing missing nothing broken we prophesy to them that's why we praise jesus because we are have We have all that we need, nothing missing, nothing broken, all is well. We declare it in the face of difficulty, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank the Lord for the blood, we acknowledge it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being a student of the Word of God. Thank you for being kind. I love you. I bless you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 to 15 say, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. We are in a farm via YouTube, okay? It's up in the uh, Nevada high country, around Winnemucca if you ever been through Winnemucca off of highway 80 you've been in an interesting place sometimes in reading these verses people get the wrong idea about God they think he's mad because they they fail to forgive someone and as a means of punishment he is withholding his forgiveness from them but actually that's not the case God wants to forgive us, all of us, all the time, for everything. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. So there's never a time when he is unwilling to forgive us. We can put him in a position, however, where he is unable to do it. And that is exactly what we do when we ourselves refuse to forgive. Here's why. Spiritual forces are real. Spiritual forces are real. They are either present somewhere or they're not. Two opposite spiritual forces can occupy the same place at the same time. We will either have one or the other. With that in mind, consider this. Whether you are giving it or receiving it, the spiritual fact forgiveness comes from God. He generates it all. So when you decide to shut off that generator and walk in unforgiveness, you are cutting it off from the source. When you make unforgiveness unavailable to your brother, it instantly becomes unavailable to you. That's a spiritual law, and there are no exceptions. So the only wise thing to do is walk on the right side of that law. Walk on the side of love and by forgiving others and keep God's forgiveness working for you. I try to forgive, you may say, but when I see the one who wronged me, I still feel angry and upset inside. What else can I do? You can stick to your spiritual guns and refuse to be moved by those feelings. Love isn't based on ye- your emotions and neither is forgiveness. It's a decision of the heart. It is a fun- function of your spiritual will. Once you've forgiven them as an act of your will, they'll, they're forgiven whether you feel it or not. When you see that person on the street and your flesh reacts by tempting you to be cold or to simply ignore them, say to yourself, oh no flesh, you can't act like that. I've forgiven that person from my heart and regardless of my fleshly emotions, I intend to treat, treat them with kindness and love. Then act by faith on that confession as you do. You'll find over a period of time you'll be completely cleansed from its, the, the effects of the wrong. You suffered. Those old feelings will be gone. And with the fountain of forgiveness flowing, God will not only be willing, but able to do wonderful things for you. Amen. That was Kenneth Copeland from April 25th, Limitless Love. And don't forget, family, that we have admitted to have a 45-day praying for our enemies and the people that wronged us. And even ourselves, you know, when we wrong ourselves, we wrong ourselves from opportunity. We wrong ourselves from saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. We have have done harm to ourselves, too. And that has kept us from the entrance of God's sunshine and God's love. So, I'm embarking today, and remember that we have a 45-day Psalm 23 prayer for our For the ones we need to forgive who offended us and the ones we offended them. Put them all in an envelope, date it. I have mine dated from April 19th and advance it for 45 days of saying Psalm 23 for the envelope. Psalm 23 will cover. And once we come across that person, we won't think of anything. Our emotions will not throw us off. Our resentment won't throw us off because we've done the hard work. And that's dig into our our souls with prayer and forgiving that person. we done our focus by interceding for that person. and <clears throat> Let's just do it. Write everything down in an envelope. Sign it. You're making a covenant with God that you're going to pray for the person for the next 45 days all your parents, your grandparents, everybody that has disappointed you or you disappointed them for their well wishes. <clears throat> the uh, the reward is love. When we forgive, we get a reward of love and we start walking in communion with God and love and and love <clears throat> everything follows love, guys. Everything. Blessings, treasure, Health, prosperity, unison with God, harmony, laughter, joy. Everything follows love. And every love for us on this earth, love follows forgiveness. So let us treat ourselves into praying for our enemies. Let's go ahead and do that now. Let's imagine you have your envelope ready and raise it up to God. Just take a piece of paper as a symbol of your list, of your envelope. And Lord, we just pray for every individual, for ourselves, everyone we hurt, everyone that's hurt us and come against us in a sad way. Lord, we just thank you for these people. And Lord, we thank you for how we've been mean and ugly and and all that and how they've been mean and ugly. And Lord, we just want to culminate it and wrap it up and pray for these people for the next 45 days, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, we just thank you for this envelope. We praise you in Jesus' name that it has your uh, your blessing on it. <clears throat> it's got the, the blood of Jesus over this envelope and over every family member, the individual we're praying for. So we pray in this manner for these people for the next 45 days, at least four and a half minutes of the Five minutes of prayer, Psalm 23. Here we go. The Lord is the shepherd of these people. They shall not want. He makes them lie down in green pastures. He leads them besides the still waters. He restores their souls. He lays them in paths of righteousness for His name'sake. Yes, though they walk through the valley of shadow of death, they will fear no evil, for you are right with them your rod and your staff they comfort them you have prepared a table before them in the presence of their enemies you anoint their head with oil their cup runs over surely goodness and mercy shall follow them all the days of their life and they will dwell in the house of the lord forever and ever amen thank you lord we dedicate this list to you give it into your hands thy word be done thy will be done in their lives and our lives as it is in heaven in jesus name amen amen in heaven is the rightful state of all of us and the right things to do so that's what we claim with the word of god onto our list have a great day family give them heaven we're listening to farm noises uh, coming right from youtube Limitless Love, April 19th, by Gloria Copeland. Hearing the Word of Love, Mark 11:24 24 it says, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Our failure to comprehend the depth of God's love is one of the primary reasons we struggle to believe God will give us what we ask for in prayer. Even when we see His promises in the Word, telling us He wants us to have our bodies healed, our families blessed, and all our needs met, doubts often remain. We think of our own shortcomings. We think of others we known or heard about who didn't receive what they asked for. And rather than boldly going before God's throne of grace and receiving what we need, we stand hesitantly at the door, wondering if God truly desires to give it to us. When we begin to grasp the greatness of God's love, however, that question is settled. We are confident that God will give us what we ask, not because we have in our any way earned it or deserve it, but because He so fervently loves us. Fate flourishes in the atmosphere of love. Think of a child who has gotten himself into trouble. For example, he's hurt himself doing something foolish. He knows he brought the trouble on himself by his own thoughtlessness or even disobedience. Yet when he cries out to his mothers for help, he has great faith that she'll come running. Why? Because she loves him. Certainly he'll get a lecture later for acting foolishly, but the child instinctively knows that correction won't come until his mother has answered his cry and met his need. He knows her first priority is not giving him the rebuke his behavior deserves, but giving him the help her love demands. If a child can have that kind of faith in his natural parent, how much more can we be sure that when we call out to our loving Heavenly Father, He will run to our aid and answer our cry? We're all familiar with Romans 10, 17 that says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We learn that meditation, what God's Word says about meeting a specific need, helps us to have faith for that need to be met. But since the Bible says that God is love, we can substitute the word love for God and see another truth. There. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of love the more we hear about and meditate on the great love god has for us the more we fellowship with him and allow him to pour out the experience of it in our hearts the stronger our fate will become instead of wondering if god is going to give us what we ask we'll leave our prayer clauses believing we receive when we pray we'll be confident he has granted our requests not because of our great great achievements but because of his great love April 18th limitless love the ten Commandments of love know therefore the Lord your God he is God the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy nine, New American Standard. This is by Kenneth Copeland. To best understand, to best understand the message of the Bible, we must read it as a progressive revelation of God. That means each part must be interpreted in the light of the next. The letters to the churches, for example, helps us understand the significance of the gospel, and everything in the Old Testament looks different in the light of the New Testament. That's because in the New Testament, through Jesus, God fully received his nature by expressing himself in the form of a man. He was able to communicate in a way that mankind could understand. He was finally able to demonstrate himself as the God who is loved. In Old Testament days, people just couldn't comprehend that. When God came down on the mountain to talk with the children of Israel, and the place shook with thunder and fiery smoke, the people were frightened and ran away. They couldn't comprehend this earth-shaking God as a God of love. His greatness and His power overwhelmed them. So even though He swore to be faithful and merciful to them and to keep covenant with them, Again and again they shrank back and said, Moses, you talk to God for us and tell us what he says. We're afraid to talk to him. He might kill us. It was that mindset they received the Ten Commandments. So they interpreted them to be the demands and ultimatums from a dictator who was saying, do this or you will die. In the light of the New Testament, however, we can see that wasn't God's heart at all. He wanted to bless those people. He wanted to make covenant with them. He was offering to be there all in all. He was saying, don't have any of the gods before me. None of them will love you like I will. None of them can meet your needs like I can. Don't take your neighbor's stuff. I have more than enough to provide for you and him both. I'll get you everything good you could ever want. So don't steal. Just come to me. And don't co- covet your neighbor's wife. I love you and I have a girl for you who is pretty as she is. So just look to me and let me bring her to you. It is a pity. God's people in Old Testament times failed to understand that. but But it's and even greater pity when we fail to understand God's love today. In the light of the blood of Jesus and the life He lived for us, we should forever see the Ten Commandments as the Ten Commandments of love. Thank you very much for this reading. May God bless you, enrich you, and profit you, and make you happy. In Jesus' name, amen. Limitless love, keep the door open. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell on his feet and besowed him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. While he yet spoke, there came from the ruler of the synagogue houses certain which said, Thy daughter is dead, why trouble is thou master and father? Any further. As soon as Jesus heard the words that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. God is love at all times. He is good all the time. There is never a moment in our lives when God isn't longing to do for us all that we need Him to do. But it is our fate that opens the door for Him to do it. Fate is our connection to the love of God. Fear, which is the opposite of fate, breaks that connection. Jesus could be standing right there by our side about to work miraculously to heal, deliver, or bless us in some much-needed way. But if all that moment we yield to fear, we virtually shut the door in his face. That's why Jesus said to Jairus when he received news of his daughter's death, don't fear, just keep believing. If you don't understand how spiritual things operate, you might think that was too hard. Harsh things for Jesus to say at that moment to you, to your natural mind. It might seem he should have been more understanding that it would have been more loving for him to sympathize with Jairus and say, I know it must be terrible to hear that your daughter is dead. You probably can't help being frightened and upset. But that's okay. I'll go and raise up her up anyway. No, Jesus could, couldn't do that. He understood the way spiritual things work. He knew that Jairus' fate was the crucial connection. It was his fate that would open the door for the resurrection power of God to invade the situation. Fear would have contaminated that fate. It would have hindered it and broken the connection. So Jesus said what love requires him to say. He said, don't be afraid, keep believing. We need to let that be a lesson to us. We need to understand that to live in the full light of God's love, we must stand against fear at all times. We must treat it like a poisonous snake and drive it out of our lives. We must resist it even in the most serious situations. If Jairus could do it, it we can. So by remaining in faith and refusing to fear, we can maintain our connection to God's love and power. We can keep the door of faith open so that He can be good to us all the time. Amen. April the twentieth Gloria Copeland No reason to doubt. Acts fourteen, eight and ten. As Lystra a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet lame from his mother's womb who had never walked this man was listening to Paul as he spoke who when he had finished f- fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well said with a loud voice stand upright on your feet and he leaped up and began to walk Acts 14, 8, 9, and 10. This is absolutely nothing in the Word of God. There is absolutely nothing in the Word of God, particularly in the New Testament, that could make you doubt God's love. That could make you doubt God's love. There isn't one incident recorded there where Jesus refused to give someone What they ask of him. When the leper said to him, If you are willing, you can make me whole. Jesus didn't hesitate for a moment. He said, I am willing, be thou made whole. When blind Bartimaeus said, I want to receive my sight. Jesus said immediately, go your way. Your fate has made you whole. Why then do we often doubt God's love and his willingness to meet our needs? Usually it's because we heard stories about people who asked God for something they needed and didn't receive it. We heard about Sister Super Saint, the sweetest woman in the church, who asked God to heal her, and she died. Assuming that all there is is to the story, we think, well, if God won't answer her her prayer, he certainly won't answer mine because I'm not half as good as she was. If you're ever tempted to think that way, remember what God that God doesn't answer your prayers because you're good. He answers them because he is good. Secondly, don't assume that just because some dear saint died, God didn't send healing. I guarantee he did. He sent healing all the time. He Time he sent the new birth two thousand years ago when Jesus went to Calvary, the problem wasn't in God's sending, it was in the saints receiving. It's not of our business what that problem was, but we know there a, was a problem because Jesus healed all who ever asked him, and the Bible says he never changes. A minister greatly respects tells about his, a time he went to pray for believer who was sick as he was praying his eyes were open and he saw Jesus standing right there with them in the room when Jesus reached out when Jesus reached out to lay his hands on the sick man's head the man shrank back and said don't i don't i can't receive it i'm just not worthy Jesus is just Jesus is just so wonderful and i am no good I am now worthy, can't receive it. I'm just too unworthy. Jesus is just so wonderful, and I am not just no good. I am now worthy. The minister said that Jesus looked over at him with tears in his eyes and said, you see, he won't let me heal him. Remember that story. Next time someone says God didn't meet their need, Remember that God is always a lover. He's always a giver. He just needs someone to reach out to Him in faith who is willing to be able to receive. Amen. The Word of the Lord. Limitless Love 19. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. That's Mark eleven twenty four the more we hear about and meditate of the great love God has for us, the more we fellowship with Him and allow Him to pour out the experience of it in our hearts. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I believe I read this last one. Um, I think it was 19. Anyway, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you. Be gracious. Good night, everyone. Welcome to today's reading from Gloria Copeland, Limitless Love, starting with April 13th. The Covenant Names of Love. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 2.21. We often fail to grasp the real significance of calling on the name of the Lord Because instead of calling him by his true name, we simply call him God. There's nothing wrong with the title, of course. It's simply an English translation of the original Hebrew word Jehovah. That is used in the Old Testament, but it doesn't fully convey to us what the Bible intended. In our language, the word God simply means supreme being. And though our Heavenly Father is certainly supreme, he is far, far more than that. After all, the Muslims believe Allah is the supreme being. Other religions believe their gods are supreme beings. How do we know they're not worshiping the same God that we are? We know because the Old Testament, God didn't just call himself by the name Jehovah. He identified himself as the God of love by joining that name with his other covenant names he called himself jehovah shalom which means the lord is our peace since the hebrew word for peace carries the idea of wholeness with nothing missing and nothing broken he identified himself as the god who makes us whole who restores what's missing and redeems what's broken he called himself jehovah raha raha ra which means the Lord is my shepherd because he wants us to know he would care for us and guide us. He would lead us to green pastures beside still waters and protects us so fully that we'll never have to fear. He calls himself Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. So we will never have to worry about the shortage or lack. We could be sure that when we call on his name, He'll always supply our needs. By calling himself Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, he lets us know we'll never have to fight our battles alone. When the enemy attacks, he'll use his mighty power to fight for us and bring us victory. He called himself Jehovah Tishkenu, the Lord our righteousness, and deliver us from sin. He called himself Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our physician, and provided healing for all our diseases. In all these covenant names and more, God revealed to us his true identity. He made himself known as the supreme giver of peace, the supreme shepherd, the supreme provider, defender, redeemer, and healer of all who would call upon his name. No other so-called God in all the earth can claim such wondrous titles. No other God but the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ can be called the God who is love. Gloria Copeland, Limitless Love, April 14. Put the devil on the run. Since therefore these his children share in flesh and blood, and the physical nature of human beings, he himself in similar manner partook of the same nature, that by going through death he might bring to naught and make us of no effect him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And also that he might deliver and completely set free all those who through the hauntings, fear of death, were held in bondage through the whole course of their lives. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. The Amplified Bible. Once you know how much God loves you and what he has done for you, you won't ever have to be afraid of the devil or any of his junk again. You won't worry about sickness. You won't worry about lack. You won't be afraid that the devil is going to ring your doorbell someday and bring some kind of calamity you can't handle. Your confidence in the love and power of God that's dwelling in you will will cast out that kind of fear. Notice I said cast it out, not cover it up. When When you really let the revelation of God's loving kindness towards you get down in your heart, you won't have to just pretend you're not afraid. You won't have to suppress it so that instead of thinking about it in the daytime, you you have nightmares all night. No, you'll just resist, and it will flee from you. Well, I just don't know if I am powerful enough to do that, you might say. Are you born again? Do you have the greater one in you? Are you? If your answer is yes, then you have all the power you need, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world, 1 John 4:4. It's not hard to be confident when you know You're greater than your adversary. It doesn't take tremendous courage to oppose someone who is clearly weaker than you. On Halloween, when a four-year-old child comes to your door dressed in a spooky suit and points a plastic gun at you, do you have to overcome fear? Are you scared stiff? Do you call 911 and say, send help, there's a monster at my door? Certainly not. You have no reason to be afraid. After all, he's smaller than you. He's a weaker than you. If he gives you any trouble, you can pick him up and carry him off your property. You can have the same attitude when you're dealing with the devil because he's been defeated. Jesus brought him to naught and made him of no effect so we wouldn't have to be afraid of him anymore. Actually, the devil already knows that he's just bluffing in the hope that you don't know it. So call... His bluff resists him and he'll run because wherever you know it or not, he's the one who is afraid of you. That was Kenny Copeland. No, excuse me, that was Gloria Copeland. Our next one is April 15th. Gloria Copeland again. Love covers a multitude of sins. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of a sound judgment and sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4:7 and 8. One of the most unfolding things we as believers can do is expose and magnify each other's sins. On rare occasions, when someone so stubbornly persists in a sin that he is going to hurt himself or someone else if that sin isn't brought to light. It may be necessary to go to a pastor or church leader so the person can get some help. But in every other case, love covers the sin of a brother and sister. Love magnifies and talks about the good things in people, not the bad. People generally aren't encouraged and edified when we point out their flaws. When we criticize their behavior, even if our desire was not to be meant but to help them, they hardly ever jump up and say, thank you, brother, for showing me what a jerk I am. That inspires me. I believe I'll be a better person from now on. No, the opposite usually happens they become disheartened and discouraged instead of focusing on who they are in christ and the grace of god in them they walk away thinking what a loser they are and, now, and that perpetuates their weakness instead of delivering them from it the lord spoke to ken years ago not long ago after our son john had moved out of our halls to live in his own At that time, John wasn't living for the Lord, and Ken, wanting to save him from making the same mistakes he made when he was that age, kept talking to him about the things he was doing wrong. One day, the Lord spoke to Ken's heart and said, You know, John thinks you think he's a bad boy. Why, Lord? Ken said, I don't think he's a bad boy. He thinks you do because you magnify his sin all the time. Ken immediately made a change, he asked John to forgive him and committed himself from then on to magnify what was right about him instead of what was wrong. It made a world of difference. If we're going to walk in love, that's what we're all going to have to do. When we see someone making a mistake, we won't make it our our business to scold them for the way they're acting. We'll start praying for them, we'll believe God and make supplications. intercession on their behalf with compassion and mercy in our hearts we'll say Lord help me to pray for this brother multiply your grace to him give him the strength he needs to get the the victory when we finish praying we won't say a word of anyone else but we will cover shield and protect you protect that person we will magnify the success instead of the failures because that's just the way love is. Awesome, awesome reading. And now, Kenny Copeland on April 16th, your key to success. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love, love endures all things. Love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, and 8, New American Standard. Love is the key to success in everything you undertake. When love motivates you, nothing can stop you. It empowers you to overcome opposition. It strengthens you to bear up under the difficult. It keeps you Hoping and hoping and believing that when others are growing discouraged and giving up love enables you to endure Whatever is necessary and to patiently faithfully pursue your goal until at last you achieved it Love can bring you success in seemingly mundane areas of your life Say you need to lose weight or simply get back in a good physical shape surprisingly enough love will enable you to do it most people don't realize that that they use selfishness as a motivation they want to get fit just to, so they can look good and through, though they start out strong before long you can find them back on the couch watching informations about exercise equipment instead of in the gym working out on it they didn't they think it's because they lack self-discipline, but the truth is, is because their self-discipline isn't backed by love. These people will have an entire different experience. If they go, got down on their knees and ask the Lord to help them make a heart adjustment, He would awaken with them the desire to lose weight so they could be better blessed others. They'll start wanting to be strong, healthy, so they could be of a role model for their friends and families and inspiration to the same instead of a John, of a drain. (laughs) They'll start wanting to be strong and healthy so they could be a role model for their friends and family and inspiration to them instead of a drain. They'll start thinking about how much they love the Lord and how they desire to please him. They'll be motivated to take care of their bodies so they could live longer and serve him, if serve the Lord more efficiently. Again, the Lord they'll start thinking about how much they love the Lord and how they desire to please him. They'll be motivated to take care of their bodies so they could live longer and serve him more effectively. I've seen love motivate people to stand in, in faith for healing, even with sickness, made them want to give up. They think of the pain and difficulty their illness or death will cause their loved ones. And they'll rise, they'll think of the pain of the illness, death, To your loved ones then and they rise up strong in God and say I don't care how bad I feel I won't let the devil steal my family too much Galatians 5 6 tells us that faith works by love so when you take the motivation of love and ask God faith in God's word to it you have an absolute understandable combination faith and love together will speak Add faith, faith in God's word to it. You'll love an absolutely undebated combination. Faith and love together will work you. you Faith in God's word to it. You'll have an absolute unbeatable combination. Faith and love together will wake you up in the morning and motivate you to put on your jogging shoes instead of your bathrobe. Faith and help will help you. Faith and love will help you choose a salad instead of a Sunday. They'll keep on you on the fitness track until the day comes. The day someone will look at you and say, Hey, you, look, you lost 20 pounds. How on earth do you do it? You can just smile and say, Love never fails. Amen. Our last reading for right now is April 17th from Gloria Copeland. The sweetest thing on earth. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands, to be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 4, 5, and 25. When believers get married and truly set their hearts on loving one another, they can create a situation so wonderful it's better than anything else on the earth. The only relationship that can compare with it is the one between Jesus and his church. Sadly enough, most Christians know hardly anything about the kind of marriage. That's why the rate of divorce in the church is the same or even higher as the divorce rate in the world. Again, when believers get married and truly set their hearts on loving one another, they can create a situation so wonderful it's better than anything else on earth. The only relationship that can compare with it it is the one between Jesus and his church. Amen. Instead of focusing on how they can give to one another, believers often focus on what they can get from one another. Instead of praying for God to show them how to meet the other person's needs, they cry out to God and say, Lord, he isn't making me happy. Make him, make him treat me better, O oh Lord. Make her stop nagging me all the time. She's driving me crazy i i learned years ago that one of the best things that i could do for our marriage was to pray for ken and ask god to give him the best wife he actually possibly have on the face of this earth of course since i didn't want to go i didn't want god to have to move out and bring another woman in i volunteered for the job myself i said lord make me that kind of wife help me to know exactly how to encourage him or bless him. One day I hadn't been a a sensitive to him as he wanted me to be, and he went into another room and blurted out, oh, she doesn't care anything about me. I didn't hear him, but the Lord did. He spoke to Ken Hart and said, it's none of your business whether she cares for you or not. Your business is caring for her. Besides that, I love and care for her. I love and care for you, so just trust yourself to me. Ken answered, yes, sir. And he's been a better husband ever since. I've been a better wife since both learned that the more we forget about ourselves and just concerns and blessings each other, the more wonderful life becomes. I can honestly say the thought of divorce never crossed my mind. Because I, why should it? We have a good thing going. We not only have Jesus, we have a marriage filled with love. And that's the sweetest thing on earth. Fernando, I've been reading from Limitless Love by Gloria and Kenny Copeland. Thank you so much for listening in. I apologize for the uh, sleepy voice. I'm getting better. Thank you so much. God bless you. Welcome to Limitless Love from Gloria Copeland, April the 8th. A Most Costly Sin. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Mark 11, 24 and 26. Not only is unforgiveness a violation of love, it's one of the most costly sins we can commit I am fully convinced that if believers understand just how deadly the consequences can be, they would never ever fail to quickly and freely forgive. Unforgiveness hinders our faith and stops our prayer from being answered. It opens the door of, to sickness and disease while closing the door to healing. Some people have died terrible death, all the while calling on God for help, yet because they continue to cling to bitterness and resentment refusing to forgive someone who hurt them, they were unable to receive the healing they so desperately needed. Unforgiveness consigns us to a life of guilt and condemnation because it stops us from receiving the sense of forgiveness from God that we need to be cleansed and restored when we sin and need forgiveness from Him. Our refusal to forgive another will make it seem the heavens are brass and the doors to god throne room has been closed to us it's no wonder that in the sight of god forgiveness is such a serious business he knows our whole future and standard of life depends on it he knows that if we refuse to forgive we'll become prisoners of failure and defeat of course the devil knows that too so you can be sure he'll try to deceive you On the one hand, he'll tell you that some offenses you carry is too small to cause you harm. After all, it's just a little unforgiveness, a minor grudge. In the great big scheme of things, it won't make much difference. On the other hand, he'll convince you that the major mistreatment you suffered cannot be dismissed. It was too painful and too costly. Surely God himself must understand that until you see justice done, you can't let it go. But despite the devil's arguments, Jesus' words remain unmistakably clear. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive. Anything and anyone, God has a comprehensive policy of forgiveness. Abide by it, and it will protect you from much unnecessary pain and keep you in the place of answered prayer. April the 9th A perfectly safe place to be. He has chosen us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians 1, verses 4-6 through 6. All fear in our lives would completely disappear if we only understood how dear and how precious we are to our Heavenly Father. If we knew how He treasures us, if we comprehend how committed He is to love and protect us, our anxieties would fly out the window. Our worries would vanish. We would be the happiest, most carefree people this world has ever seen. But most of us have been robbed of that revelation religion has given us the impression we're just worthless sinners saved by grace, scruffy orphans who should be content to beg at the Lord's back door. There's a story of one little lady with the idea that who would stand up to testify in church and say, I'm just a worm in the dirt for Jesus. She said it so often that finally one man in the congregation couldn't take it anymore. He jumped up and answered Yes, granny, and one of these days the devil is going to use you to fish bait or fish bait. That's not just funny, it's true. As long as the devil can keep us from taking our place in God's family and receiving by faith our Father's loving care, he can terrorize us day and night. He can make make us live the frightened like frightened orphans even though we've been adopted as sons of Almighty God. Actually, we were orphans at one time. The Bible says before we were saved, we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, Ephesians 2.12. But when we call out to the Lord, He rescues us, He made us members of His own household, And that makes us especially precious to Him. The Old Testament reveals just how fiercely protective God is of orphans who turn to Him for help. He told Israel, If thou afflict them in any wise, and then cry out at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Exodus 22, verses 23 and 24. That's how protective God is towards us today. He takes it personally when anyone tries to do us harm. And he comes to our defense himself as his adopted children. He told us tenderly and firmly in his mighty hand. Even in this dangerous world, that's perfectly placed, safe place to be. Gloria Copeland, April the 10th, a powerful Family of love speaking the truth and love grow up in him in all things which is the head even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supply it according to the effectual working in the measure of every part make it increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love ephesians 4:15 and 16. the new testament picture of the church is that of a home much like heaven on earth it's the picture of a powerful family and a heavenly father knit together with unbreakable bonds of love it's a family where even the spiritual babies are saved from the storms of life even those yet not yet strong enough to fight face fight for themselves are fearless because they know if they need to, they can run to their family for help. Have you ever seen a child who was awakened in the night by a clap of thunder or a flash of lightning? If that child was from the, a loving home, he didn't lie alone in his room shaking and trying to be brave. He ran down the hall and jumped into the bed with his mother and father or snuggle up next to his older brother or sister. And in a few minutes later, he was sound asleep, secure in the place of love. That's how the family of God was meant to be. God never intended us to pick on and criticize one another. He never meant us to hurt each other or to be rough on those who stumble and sin. No, he told us to deal gently with even those who have fallen to uphold the weak and comfort the discouraged. He instructed us to bear, endure, carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults, and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Imagine what will happen as we more fully obey these instructions. Think what the church will become as we stop treating it like an institution or simply an organization and being to make it God's powerful army of love. We will be a family with ties so strong that when the devil jumps on one of us, he'll find he has all of us to deal with. A family continually builds itself up instead of tearing itself down. By the grace of God, we can do it, you know. Before we in the church are caught up to heaven, we can bring heaven right down to earth. All we have to do is take our place in God's family and start caring for one another. All we have to do is make a quality commitment to start giving our full share of love. Amen. April 11, the Spirit of Adoption. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Romans 8:15 and 17 As we believe as believers we've been given the spirit of adoption we're not spiritual orphans anymore An orphan feels unloved and alone he has no one to provide for him no one who truly cares about his future An orphan continually struggles with fears and feelings of unworthiness When prospect parents come to the orphanage, an orphan might step nervously towards in his ragged pants and worn out shoes, trying to look his best, but inside he's frightened. He's thinking, no one is going to want me. I'm not good enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not smart enough. I have the wrong color skin. That's the spirit we had before we were born again. But when we made Jesus our Lord, everything changed. Suddenly, we had a Father. We had someone to love us and save us. We had someone who would turn—could we could turn to when life got tough and danger, threatened. At last, we could cry out, Daddy, help me, and be sure someone would answer. If you study adoption in Hebrew culture, you'll see just how powerful the spirit of truth of it truly is according to Jewish law. It's illegal for an adopted child to be disinherited. He's the most secure member of the family and no matter how many children there are, the adopted child receives all the privileges of the firstborn. That's our position in the family of God. We have no more reason to feel insecure and no more need to fear. Though the blood of Jesus we've been given irrevocable sonship and may join heirs with him that means everything that belongs to jesus belongs to us as well his righteousness his authority his victory over sins sickness and the devil are all needs are met according to his riches and glory so we have victory over sin sickness and the devil we don't have any business standing around like spiritual orphans feeling unworthy and wondering if someone is going to help us we will receive the spirit of adoption. We ought to walk around with our heads high and grins on our faces telling people my daddy loves me, my daddy takes care of me, my daddy is always there for me. Religious folks might say you better watch that, it sounds like the spirit of pride to me. No it's not, it's just the spirit of adoption talking. It's the testimony of an orphan who has been made a son, and the son, it's the song of the Redeemer. April the 12th, he did it just for me, Colossians 1.12, the Amplified Bible. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified and made us fit to share the portion which is the inheritance of the saints, God's holy people, in the light. Colossians 1:12. One of the most difficult revelations for believers to grasp is the fact that they are qualified to receive the blessing of God. A sense of unworthiness often dogs their steps and makes them stop short of receiving a glorious inheritance God had given them. They just don't think they deserve it. I could never believe I'm worthy of God's goodness, they say. I'm nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. That may sound humble, but the truth is, any Christian who refuses to believe they're worthy of their divine inheritance is refusing to believe the Bible. It clearly says we have been made worthy. We have been qualified and made fit to receive the blessings of God. It says we are holy and beloved of God. We are holy and beloved of God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Granted, that's not because of anything wonderful we have done. Every person who has walked this earth with the exception that Jesus has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Despite our best efforts, we were totally flawed before we were saved that we could do nothing that was worthy of Him. But thanks to God, He didn't leave us in that unworthy condition. He sent Jesus to deliver us from it, He sent Jesus to live a perfectly worth, worthy life and then take our sins upon Himself. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians five, two. Every time you think of yourself, you ought to see yourself as worthy because you are in Jesus. He is wonderfully worthy and you are in Him. Who's made John 1723 says that God loves you just as much as he loved Jesus. As amazing as it may seem, God will do for you anything that He would do for Him. Years ago, Ken was visiting with a friend of ours, a minister, who had that revelation. He was one of the most joyful and loving people around. Ken once call him an apostle of love late one sir one evening as he and ken walked out to a prayer meeting they looked up the clear night sky that was sparkling with millions of stars my daddy did just that for me he said in the years since as we have come to understand the love of god we realize in a deeper way just how right he was we come to see that in jesus our worthy of every good thing the Father has provided in Jesus. And like our friend, we can boldly say, He did it just for me. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We praise you. We exalt you. You're worthy of glory, worthy of honor, and worthy of praise. Blessed be the Lord God that has given us honor through His lamp. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.